Somebody does. Obviously, we've got a number of them around here, so I'm pretty excited about that, and uh, I trust you are as well. All right, let's go ahead and uh, get into this today. I don't have a verse for you to turn to. Uh, We're just going to get things started, and then along the way, we'll kind of get into the Bible as we go along. But I just wanted to know, I mean, if I said tonight, if I said, uh, he is a loser, he's a loser. What picture just popped up in your mind? If, if I said, I said, man, that guy's a, that, I, that guy's a pirate. Or if I said, that's a football player. Or a waitress. And what pops up in your mind? There's images that pop up in our mind when we hear words. And God, He uses words to describe our place and position in His family. He uses commonly understood terms to enlighten and enable us to understand our responsibilities and our our duties as Christians. God's not a complicated God in a sense. He's very simple in the way He designs things. Not to say that things aren't complicated... But when it comes to what we're to do, it's very simplified for us. And tonight, I just want to note just a couple of those terms and consider their implications toward us tonight. God refers to us as some things. And I'm just going to take a few moments and look at four of those. And we'll see what we can learn from them. Because I believe tonight that sometimes... A word like that can really describe our responsibility better than maybe... A whole paragraph. And so tonight we're going to see what we can learn, all right? Let's pray. Father, we don't have a lot of time tonight, but we are grateful for the time that we have. And we're thankful, Father, for the health and the opportunity to be here. Lord, this great group that's gathered tonight is here because they want to glean from your precious book and the Word. Father, they want to hear from heaven. Lord, they don't want to hear just from a mere man. They want to hear from you, the Master. So... Father, may you fill me with your spirit that I might be your mouthpiece. And, Lord, may you just anoint every listening ear that they might hear what you'd have for them. God of heaven, we take serious this thing called the Christian life. If we we didn't, we wouldn't be here tonight. And so, Lord, each and every one of us want to glorify you in our lives. And, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. May we be once again reminded of our responsibility. May we once again be just rejuvenated and And just, Father, uh, just, I guess, uh, excited about the things of God. And, Father, may you just help us as we uh, hear this message tonight and as we go into this new year and really sink our teeth into your work. And, and Father, may you just be glorified now, Father, we pray this evening with everything that's said and done. We'll give you the glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Just as you had a picture pop up in your mind when you heard the word loser or pirate, or football player, or waitress, the one, one of the words that God refers to us as is a workman. A workman. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A workman. The terms used mostly in the Old Testament with the exception of two times. Workman, we could say, is someone who uses their hands to carve, construct, create. Uh, It has to do with physical or manual labor. 
The word workman, I'm sure, musters up images of a person who has toiled or sweat or exerted themselves. In our generation, we've, I think we've kind of grown soft to work as a whole. I think we lean much more toward leisure. I think you'd have to agree with me there. Do you ever feel overworked, overregulated, underleisured, underbenefited? Well, take heart. Let me read you a notice that was found in the ruins of a London office building dated 1852. This firm was reduced uh, this firm has reduced the hours of work and the clerical staff will now only have to be present between the hours of 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. weekdays. They've reduced the hours, mind you. Clothing must be of a sober nature. The clerical staff, that means basically your office people, just in case you wanted to know a little more specific. The clerical staff will not disport themselves in raiment of bright colors, nor will they wear hose unless in good repair. Overshoes and topcoats may not be worn in the office, but neck scarves and headwear may be worn in inclement weather. Weather. A stove is provided for the benefit of the clerical staff. Coal and wood must be kept in the locker. It is recommended that each member of the clerical staff bring four pounds of coal each day during the cold weather. No member of the clerical staff may leave the room without permission from the supervisor. No talking is allowed during business hours. The craving for tobacco, wine, or spirits is a human weakness, and as such is forbidden to all members of the clerical staff. Now that the hours of business have been drastically reduced, the partaking of food is allowed between 11.30 and noon, but work will not on any, case, any account cease. Members of the clerical staff will provide their own pens. A new sharpener is available on, the application, uh, on application to the supervisor. The supervisor will nominate a senior clerk to be responsible for the cleanliness of the main office and the private office. All boys and janitor and juniors, excuse me, will report to him 40 minutes before prayers and will remain after closing hours for similar work. Brushes, brooms, scrubbers, and soap are provided by the owners. The owners recognize the generosity of the new labor laws, but will expect a great rise in output of work to compensate for these near utopian conditions. Well, we've come a long way from 1852, but then again, have we really gotten better or only embraced a greater sense of entitlement? I wonder sometimes. As a workman, we're to toil, we're to sweat, we're to exert, and we're to labor in the Word and in the work of God. There's little time to rest while we're on this earth. Or at least that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ viewed it. In John chapter 9, verse 4, He said, I must work the works of Him that sent Me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. The inference is that there's only a set amount of time that we have to exert ourselves, to exert effort in the work of God. We have only a window, a short window, a small window in order to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. 
And unfortunately, there are those that feel as though God hasn't spoke to me about a specific thing. Therefore, I have no purpose. No, the Bible outlines and describes our purpose very clearly. You don't have to be specifically called to be a preacher or a teacher or a bus captain or a nursery worker even. You just need to understand that you're a workman. And therefore, if you're not toiling in the work of God, you are not fulfilling your God-given responsibilities. In order to, to, to truly obtain to the, the, the goals and ultimately the rewards that God intends for us, we need to be actively striving and working toward those goals. The truth, uh, excuse, uh, excuse me, I, I heard it said one time, the hardest thing about milking cows, observed a farmer, is that they never stay milked. Well, the truth about the Christian life and the work of the Lord is that there's always something else that we can learn. There's always someone else that we can reach. It never ends. And sometimes that's a difficult aspect of the Christian life. You know, we have a great big day here at the church and God blesses with a number of souls and we see our buses filled to capacity. I mean, last year we had a day of over 300 on our buses. We had in our church almost 800 in one day. Well, that's a blessing and that's encouraging and we get excited about that and then we think, woo, finally we can relax. But there's still somebody that needs saved. There's still a child that needs picked up. There's still needs that need to be met. Unfortunately, it's like that cow. It's never done being milked. And the truth is the Christian life never ends. There's always something we can learn from God's Word. And there's always someone we can reach with the Gospel. So the work is never done. Therefore, we are called workmen in His Word. Number two, we're called watchmen. Watchmen. In Ezekiel, turn there if you would please, chapter 33. We're going to read the first nine verses of Ezekiel, chapter 33. <clears throat> Ezekiel, chapter 33. We're going to begin reading, as I said, in verse 1. Again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, isn't that nice when you think about that? I mean, that's an interesting phrase. Again, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came unto me. Do you know, interestingly enough, we call this the word of God. Every time we open it up and read the words off this page, we can say, again, the word of the Lord came unto me. Isn't that interesting? You say, boy, I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would, would, would just come down and, and like He did to Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and some of those other prophets. I wish He'd speak to me. Well, every time we open this book, the Word of God, we can say again, the Word of the Lord came unto me. Notice again, He goes on here to say, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, when I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. 
He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. I often say in our Soul winning classes. It's not our job to win them. It's our job to warn them. And the truth that I speak there is found right there in the passage in the book of Ezekiel chapter 33. No doubt about it. We carry the gospel and we have the very answer, the solution to their sin need. But the fact is, is that it's our job to warn people about the coming judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And that's our responsibility today as watchmen. To warn people that God is still on the throne. That He's still a holy God. A righteous God. That He's coming just. And He will judge justly. So we are to be watchmen. And we are to be warning. In verse 7, the Lord says to the prophet, So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Well, I'll tell you what. We have heard the word of the Lord from his mouth. It's right there in black and white. We hear it from pulpits and we, we, we read it in papers and we view it in books and listen to it on the radio and so many venues, so many avenues that God has approached our hearts and encouraged us from His Word. We have no excuse for not knowing the truth. And that truth which we've been entrusted is to be shared with others. To warn them. To remind them that there is a God in heaven. That they are responsible to Him. That He will require at their hand an answer. That sin will be recompensed in that day. George Sweeting, in his book, The No Guilt Guide for Witnessing, tells of a man by the name of John Currier who, in 1949, was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Later, he was transferred and paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. In 1968, Currier's sentence was terminated, and a letter bearing the good news was sent to him, but John never saw the letter, nor was he told anything about it. 
Life on that farm was hard, to say the least. And it had no promise of future. Yet John just kept doing what he had always done. And he did everything he was told, even after the farmer who had worked there died. Ten years went on, and ten years went by. Then a state parole officer learned about Courier's plight, and he found him, and he told him that his sentence had been terminated, that he was a free man. Sweeting concluded that, that story by asking these questions. He said, would it matter to you if someone sent you an important message? I mean, the most important in your life. And year after year, the urgent message was never delivered. Well, may I say, the letter was written and sent. Amen. And in George Sweeney's case, his letter of parole had been written and sent. But it was not communicated to him. Here it is, written and sent. The real issue and the real question tonight is simply this. Will God's people communicate the letter? Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have heard, we who have heard the good news, we who have experienced freedom through Christ, we're responsible to proclaim it to others that are still enslaved by sin. Are we doing all that we can to ensure that the message of freedom and liberty makes it into the ears of those that need it? James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I think we know to do good. So therefore if we fail to do, we've sinned. We have the truth, and only the truth will make them free. We are watchmen, and we are to warn them. Not only are we workmen and watchmen, but number three, we're witnesses. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8, you know the verse probably pretty well. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Witnesses have either seen, heard, or experienced something that qualifies them as witnesses. John 3.11 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you received not our witness. Again, he says, We speak that we, we, speak that we do know, and testified that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. Hey, we know some things. We've experienced some things. We have heard some things. But you will not accept our witness. 
See, a witness has seen, heard, or experienced something that qualifies them as a witness. In John 15, 27, the Bible says, And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and again, he makes it very clear to them that as we've traveled throughout this life, and as you've uh, observed what I've been doing and some of the miracles that I've performed and I've shared with you the doctrines and the beliefs and the system by which you ultimately operate and function. He says, you've been witnesses because you have experienced it. You've been with me from the beginning. You've seen it firsthand. And now you can witness of it. I was called to be a witness. The attorney... uh, Put you places you up on that. First of all, you go before the judge, and you know the, the things you all heard. Now, of course, they're trying to leave things out nowadays, you know, like God. But anyway, here you go. You have a seat, and before you know it, the attorneys are all asking you all kind of questions. They want to hear what you saw, or what you've seen, or uh, how, how uh, maybe what you've experienced, or maybe what you heard even. And, and, and you say, well, I just think that it doesn't matter what you think. What did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? I just feel like they, I'm not interested in how you feel about what you think they felt or what you think they did. I just want to know what did you see? What did you hear? What did you experience? Asking a number of questions over and over. Sometimes the same questions a different way. All they cared about was what I had seen, experienced, or had heard. That's what a witness does. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 32, it says, This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we, are, we, are, uh, we all are witnesses. There were those that had seen the resurrected Christ. I mean, they watched Him. They, they literally talked with Him so we're witnesses. We saw something. We experienced something. We heard something. It was real to us. Now that you've experienced it and you've seen it and you've heard it, now go witness of it. See, there's nothing more powerful than an experience. And that's why people get stuck on experience sometimes. They have a religious experience. It's probably not a salvation experience in some cases. It's a religious, a spiritual experience. I was at a retreat out in the woods. And I felt like the the light pierced through the trees right into my very being. I felt warmth all through my body. I'm not exaggerating, folks. And they say... I had an encounter with God. They had an experience. Try to talk somebody out of that experience and say, well, that wasn't salvation. Oh, I know God. He spoke to me. Me and God are... No, you don't understand. The Bible says, no, but I know what I experienced. You weren't there. You don't know. You know what I don't know, and I wasn't there. 
I just know what the Bible says. And last I checked, my experiences do not hold weight over the Word. They don't weigh heavier than God's Word. His Word always outweighs my experience. And it outweighs yours too. But hold on. If you had the right kind of experience. I mean, if there came a point in your life when you recognized that your sin was weighing you down, that you were chained and enslaved by it, and that ultimately hell was going to open its mouth and swallow you up. And all of a sudden, to your amazement and to your pleasure, Jesus Christ revealed Himself on Calvary and recognized Him as the risen Savior. And you said, Oh, Lord Jesus, I've met You. You're mine. I love You. And He's coming to your heart to save you. Let me tell you, that experience is a real experience. And it's a biblical experience. And it's one that God says you can bet your bottom dollar is going to provide you with an eternal hope and an eternal home. And that's an experience. Now, there's nothing better than experiencing Jesus Christ firsthand The next best thing, though, is to witness it. To be a witness of that experience. See, the unsaved world, the unregenerate heart has not had that experience. And the truth is, they may never open up this book. So the best thing next to an experience is a witness. And God calls us witnesses. Because we have experienced Christ firsthand. We've experienced His hope, His help, His love, His grace, His mercy, His truth. We are now witnesses. Finally, last, the Bible calls us warriors. Well, It really calls us soldiers, but I have to keep with the W's. We're warriors. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Why don't we turn there if you're able. Take just a moment and then we'll close. But notice what it says here. Think of a warrior. Boy, I tell you what, that's some images, huh? Some of you are going, yeah, we we see one right in front of us right now. A warrior. I know. I'm like Conan the Barbarian. Some of you may know who he was. See the resemblance? Okay, well, maybe not so much. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet if he not, uh, be not crowned, excuse me, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The Bible says that we're soldiers or warriors. 
I don't know about you, but as a kid, I used to like to play Army. And I like it. I think, I thought guns were the best. They pretend we were shooting people up, hand grenading everybody we could, using bazookas. Man, if we could get a hold of a nuclear warhead, all the better. Anything we could get to cause lateral, uh, collateral damage. Now listen to me. There's nothing wrong with playing war. We got them that are really living it. It's amazing today. We won't let our kids even touch a gun, look at a gun, or even dream about one without losing our, 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 our sanity. And yet we're going to pack them up at 18 years old and throw them over there in Afghanistan let them use weapons and get shot, maimed, and killed. I don't think weapons are really the problem. It's the hands that they're in. I wish we could take all the weapons in the world away from those that want to use them to harm people. But unfortunately, it don't work that way. You say, if that's political, well, then so be it. And I guess that's my side political. You can believe whatever you want to, I suppose. But I just, I'm so sick of watching our young men and ladies get blown up and seeing images of them without legs and arms and hands. It's been going on forever and it will continue till the day Jesus returns. Till he establishes his kingdom and sets it up right. And actually it will probably go on even in the millennium to some degree. It's just that when people do stupid things like that, they'll be put in their right place. He'll rule with a rod of iron during that thousand years. A man harms another man, hurts a woman, or does something stupid to a child. God's going to come down harder than we can even imagine. Then one day we'll have a new heaven and a new earth where we won't have to worry. No more bars on windows. No more locked doors. No more darkness. And I'm looking forward to that day. But for now, we're warriors. We're in the battle of a lifetime. We enlist in that, war, that, that, that army the moment we get saved, and we're in. Whether you want to be in or not, you're in. I remember when I, I, I joined the military, and I volunteered. I, I did. I went in, and next thing I know, they're... They're talking about, oh no, you know, there's this alert. Oh no, we're on the borders of, uh, uh, you know, West and East Germany, up there on the border. And, and they're talking about, oh no, we've got the uh, communists coming across the border. And they were feeding us all this bogus information and telling us what was going on. They told us we weren't going back in because this was the real thing. And I watched grown men weep. I sat in the truck and man had to fight back the tears. Thought, I ain't going home. This is it. You mean to tell me? I thought it was supposed to be more glamorous. Audie Murphy looks a lot better at it than I do. John Wayne? I mean, come on now. Are you kidding me? He looks good in a, with his old canteen on his hip and walking along, you know, like he does. I mean, old John Wayne, you know. He always gets the girl. All I'm going to get is a bullet. <laughs> A fistful of lead. I was like, man, this is not what it's all cracked up to be. But you know what? When you got in, you're in. You don't just, you know, start running for the hills. You don't just turn your back and head on out. You don't go AWOL. You're a soldier. That's what you're trained to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You enlisted for this. And the truth is, when you got saved, you received Christ, you enlisted for this army. You're in now. Quit running. Turn and fight. 
we face an experienced adversary. He's very experienced. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I like when I read that verse sometimes, I give by myself, I'll come in the church and I'll say, you know, I'll say, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, here it is now, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. And I roar. He's trying to scare us, isn't he? You know, a lion roars for a reason. He tries to freeze his prey. Roar! Put chills down your spine. You hear a roaring lion. That's what the devil wants to do too. He wants to put chills down your spine. He wants to scare you with that loud roar. Let me tell you something. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I think it's important that we understand that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Because you know what? Not only do we face an experienced adversary, we face an endless attack. Isn't it it amazing, you know, how it works for us? We go through a difficult time and we go, glad that's over. And it's almost like, well, we've got all the bad stuff behind us. Oh, you might as well just get ready. Something else is coming. It'll be right back. Don't don't let up on your prayer life now. Don't stop reading your Bible and don't stop meditating on the Scriptures. No, you you better not leave church. Don't do that. Because something else is coming. Well, it's going good now. Well, it won't be for long. Something's going to happen. Isn't it amazing how when things start going our way, we think we can do without God? The devil just stops roaring for a little bit. We don't hear it anymore, so we're not quite scared. Get a little cocky, you know, start feeling a little bit, you know, I can handle that bow up a little bit, you know, I can do it. All of a sudden, just like that, phone call comes. Got your test results back. Phone call comes. Start to inform you that Phone call comes. It's the hospital. Daughter, son says, Mom, Dad, got to talk to you. Here it comes. Listen, don't. God help us not to leave the Lord, not to leave His Word, not to leave His house. We face, an, we face an endless attack from an experienced adversary. And finally, though, let me just say this. We face an eternal advantage. It's not all bad now. I mean, we fight in a war and in a battle. We're in a battle and we, we fight on a, a team here, but our captain is the Lord of hosts. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. What shall we say to these things? What shall we say to this battle that we're forever fighting for this endless attack and this experienced adversary that we face? I mean, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, 
Who can be against us? Paul remarks in his closing days, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. May God help us to keep the faith. To fight that good fight. Let's quit fighting to get bigger bank accounts. Quit fighting to have more time off. Quit fighting to have a house down by the beach and one where we live and work. Let's stop fighting battles that have no eternal reward. If God gives you those things in the midst of your faithfulness to Him, enjoy them and share them with others. And give God the glory and bless Him with your giving. But please do not sacrifice the warfare we've been called to to war after something or someone other than Him. We are warriors. So see, in the Bible we're pictured and described as workmen, watchmen, witnesses, and warriors. Tonight, I trust as we go forward in our lives as believers that we will live out those pictures. That we will live up to our Master's expectations. That we'll not let Him down. That we'll not be ashamed at His coming. Father, we come to You. Again, we thank You for this time we've had together in Your Word and Lord, just very simple truths tonight. But Father, I don't know, in our crowd tonight, there's, it's possible that maybe a believer feels that there's an area of their life that they've let down. Maybe they've not been that witness or they've not warned people like they should. They've not been the watchman that they ought to be. Father, maybe they've not been the warrior that You've called them to be. Maybe their interests and maybe their affairs have been directed toward worldly things. Not that they've done anything really wrong in the world's eyes, and they've not even done anything really wrong in our eyes, but their heart, their attitude, their spirit has been focused or maybe sidetracked or drawn away by the glitter and the glamour of this world. Father, help us, Lord, to continue to be the warrior that you want us to be, the workman you want us to be, the witness and the watchman that you call us to be. But we'll thank you tonight as you work in our lives. And Lord, if there be any that are lost without Christ, may they, may they be so bold tonight to just simply step out into the aisle, come to the front, and allow me to take, have someone take a Bible and show them how to be saved. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet as the music plays. A watchman. A witness. The workman, I 
How you doing on those things? How you doing as a workman? Study is weariness to the flesh, the Bible says. But you're still studying. You say, I had to work 40 hours this week. My job starts early. It's tough. I want you to think for a minute about those that lived back in 1850. And the truth is, we're giving ourselves to something. No matter what we are, where we're at, we're giving it to something. Is it to the Lord? God doesn't, God doesn't begrudge us time off. He doesn't begrudge us opportunities to rest. The body needs rest. God designed us for that. He designed us with that in mind. But, I mean, how much television do we really need to watch? I mean, how much radio do we really need to listen to? I mean, how, how long do we need to really spend on the Internet and Facebook and all these websites and all these social networks? Really, I mean, do they really uplift us? Do they really encourage us to the things of Christ, make us better believers and stronger in the work of God? Do they edify us? say things like, Preacher, we just don't have time to read the Bible like I'd like to. I don't have time to do that. Well, let me ask you, did you have time to watch your favorite show this week? Did you have time to talk to your friend on the phone? Did you have time to update your Facebook account? Well, that's different. You think what you want, but I got a feeling that the Lord doesn't think it's different. I'm just saying we need to be honest with ourselves and really evaluate our lives and admit sometimes maybe areas that we're being a little selfish. Last time I checked, nobody in this world died for me but Jesus. Every bit of advice that I can give a person pales in comparison to what the Lord Jesus Christ can do for them as a result of Calvary. 